Well, if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to go with me to the Gospel of Matthew. And it's a little bit of a change of us. For, so for a while, I've been saying, go to the book of Acts. Let's go to the Gospel of Matthew today. Matthew's Gospel, the beginning of the New Testament. Advent, when light comes into the darkness, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. I love that song. Appreciate your good singing during it. Well, hope, peace, joy, and love. Um, We uh, are looking at some things here in the beginning of Matthew's gospel. We come to these four weeks that we'll be looking at Christmas and Advent. Now, last year, we walked through the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke during the month of December. This year, we're going to look at the genealogies of Jesus, um, which are here in Matthew and then in Luke chapter 3. And so, this week, we're going to look at the nature of the genealogies and their purpose and some lessons from them. We're going to focus on Matthew's genealogy of Christ. And then from the characters in the genealogies, and then we'll have some insights as to the nature of the gospel and the inclusion of marginalized and sinful people into the genealogy of Jesus. And, um, but before we do that, let's have a little bit of moment of truth and some honesty. How many of you get excited about reading genealogies in the Bible. (laughs) My hand's not up either. Um, Sometimes you kind of skip over that or you kind of skim through it. Or even when I said Matthew chapter 1 and you glance down, you're like, oh. Um, uh, Really relevant. Draw them in, Jason. (laughs) There you go. Um, It's kind of like watching the credits at the end of a movie, right? Now, I know that up until the 70s, the credits were usually at the beginning of the movie, which is why all of us youngsters, notice how I include myself in that, when we watch an old movie and the credits at the beginning, we're like, come on, get with it already. Um, and uh, um, it would some, how, how many of you watch the credits at the end of a movie? Some, if it's a Marvel movie, my kids love that because they got to wait for that extra scene at the end. And, w- and then about, you know, so far into those credits, you're like, ah, oh, there's not going to be one here. Oh, there's not going to be one here. And then, oh, there is. And, you know, you don't, and so, and uh, it's kind of a bummer when it doesn't really tell you anything. But other times you're like, oh, that was pretty cool. We waited till the end and got that extra thing. Well, just think of that when you're reading the genealogies, that you're waiting for this really good extra scene at the end. Um, or maybe reading the preliminaries. You get a new book. Uh, and you're either skimming through it on your whatever your app that you're reading it on, or you got the paper version of it, and you're kind of looking. Okay, yeah, yeah. He thanked his wife for editing it. Okay, get to the book, right? And um, um, we're tempted to see the genealogies like we might see the credits of an old movie. Um, and um, well, but I, don't, I really don't think that's good for us. And that's, uh, we're going to see a little bit of why that's so important today. And so what I want to do is I want to read uh, the um, first 17 verses of Matthew's gospel, and we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll dive in so we can learn from lessons from these genealogies and the nature of them. This is God's word, Matthew chapter 1. 
the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, and at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shittael, and Shittael the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, oh, I'm trying, um, Abiud the father of Alakim, and Alakim the father of Azar, and Azar the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation from Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ. 14 generations. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would teach us. You tell us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Lord, would you help us to learn from this family tree of the Messiah? Lord, help us to learn some truths about the gospel. That would change us. Lord, I pray that what happens now would change lives for eternity. I pray that you'd use this series and this message, knowing that what I've prepared is not what's powerful, but the words of the text. And Lord, we trust it. We trust it to do its work. And we trust your spirit to use it. And we thank you for what you're going to do with it. In Jesus' name, amen. So after 400 years of silence, the Gospels start, the New Testament starts with genealogies. You might think, well, that's kind of an odd way to start. It kind of starts in with this family tree. And, but remember that Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience and, that, that is still anticipating the Messiah. And, and so just like when we're anticipating the second coming of Christ, and so the church today is really kind of in that hopeful waiting time that the Jews before the New Testament were. So 400 years of that, those silent years anticipating the Messiah, so they're looking for. So as Matthew introduces Jesus' family and Jesus' lineage, 
He's really doing it to give credibility to who Jesus is. And so verse 1 starts off saying that the book of the genealogy. Now I want you to note verse 1. I know that the rest of that chapter has a lot of different names in it and hard to pronounce and all that. But just verse 1 and verse 17 kind of give us what we're looking for here. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he says the book, meaning this book that he's writing, of the genealogy. Now, the word genealogy means beginning or history or source or family lineage. Now, we know that Jesus' birth was not his beginning. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. There never was a time that Jesus did not exist. Okay? Uh, There was an ancient heresy called Arianism, started by this dude named Arius. Um, and, and he started going around uh, Alexandria and some other cities saying there was a time when he was not. And that heresy is spun around and it's still around today in what is called the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, that, they, that Jesus is created or he became at a certain time, or even an idea of modalism, that God the Father just turned into the mode of the Son. Uh, and, and there's some different branches that do that. But Jesus has always, he is the eternal, always, ever, ever existing divine God, Son of God. Okay? But when it says that um, in BTW, that guy named Arius went to a council where they declared that a heresy, and there was one uh, bishop that was there that history tells us, I don't know if it's real or not, but the story is told that a bishop smacked Arius for his heresy, and that bishop was the name, by the name of Nicholas, who where we the St. Nicholas. So imagine that. That jolly old Saint Nick smacked a heretic. Okay, and um, and, and anyway, that that's where the the tradition comes from for us. That anyway, so but so Jesus has always existed. But when it says the genealogy of Jesus, meaning his lineage or his family source, this is the history. This is the same phrase. This is the genealogy um, that was uh, here in Matthew one one that was used in Genesis two. When it says, this is the genealogy of the heavens and the earth. This is the history. This is the facts. And then also the same phrase used in Genesis 5, verse 1, when the scripture says, this is the genealogy of Adam and his family. And so what it's doing is it's undergirding, saying, this is fact. And and, 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 and God's using that same phrase. It's undergirding that this is actual, the human origins of Jesus. These are real. And it's echoing the genealogy of the Old Testament. Jews, took, Jews kept extensive genealogies, and it's all, all these records and stuff that they still keep a lot of. And, of course, throughout history, there's times when they lost or things were burned and trying to find those things out, and there's conspiracy theories about it. But they kept that. It was so important because of the lineage of Messiah and for other reasons to keep what tribe one was part of and all those things. Um, but, but I also want you to note there the fact that that language is used, that the same language that was u- is used um, in, in, in Genesis, the ge- gene- genealogy, the Genesis, the genealogy of the heaven and the earth, of Adam and his, that how important God makes that, that that's, that that's fact. Um, and so it should undergird some of our views of human origins, um, that how important that is. And so if one has... 
uh, because the genealogy of Jesus here goes from David to Abraham, um, and the genealogy that Luke gives in Luke chapter 3 goes back to Adam, how important that is. And so if you have a view of human origins that puts humans before Adam, um, I would really challenge you on that. Um, uh, to, because the, the scriptures is, is banking on that, okay? Uh, at least as far as the human race goes. So anyway, um, so, this, so, what, so what the genealogy of Jesus does, it declares Jesus' history. It declares Jesus' history. This is a, his source, his family, this is real. So it declares his history. It also de- demonstrates Jesus' descent, that Matthew is saying from David, Luke is saying from Adam. So the genealogy of Matthew demonstrates Jesus' legal descent from the king, from, the, from David. And then Luke's, Luke's genealogy in Luke chapter 3 demonstrates Jesus' biological descent from the first Adam. So we have descent from Adam and David. We have descent from Adam, the first Adam. Now, I do want to note that neither of these genealogies um, in here in Matthew one or in Luke, are um, exhaustive, and what I mean by that is that there are actually some generations in the middle. Uh, but this word that begat or this father of that phrase it's used would really mean that the father of means the ancestor of. So there may be that we're naming a grandfather of a grandson, and not everyone in the middle. Um, and so if you're comparing the genealogies. Um, of, of Matthew and Luke, the, there will be people that would question the authority of the Bible. They'll say, well, look, they don't match up exactly the right. Well, there's a couple reasons for that. One is that one's, they're, they're both using some of that language there of the, the ancestor of. The other is that one is coming from the Joseph side and the other is uh, Luke is coming from the Mary side uh, of who Jesus was. And so there's, there's very good, solid, intellectually viable uh, arguments uh, to combat that claim that, well, this is uh, errors in the Bible here in the genealogies of Jesus. No, they're not. Um, but, but we should note that they're not exhaustive in detail. Okay, so what are some lessons we can learn from the genealogies? What are some lessons we can learn from these genealogies? I have four for our time here, and then we'll have, have our time where we observe the Lord's table. And so... I want to make sure I put that up because um, the clock on the back is a wreath now, and you all would not make want me to appreciate waiting until the bow moves on the wreath. <coughs> Excuse me. So the first lesson we learned from these genealogies is this, that, that Christmas is a continuation of the Old Testament story of God's redemptive plan. Um, to rescue a wayward people. God has always had this plan to rescue a wayward people. So the New Testament is not some like separate story. It, it, it's a continuation. In the genealogy of Jesus, he, he's undergirding this saying, hey, this guy, this man, this Messiah is rooted in a continuation of the promise from Abraham and David. That God, so it's not some new. So take the whole story. Don't be one that wants to dismiss or divorce the Old Testament from the new. That this is a continuation of the story. And that Christmas is a continuation of the Old Testament story, not a brand new separate entity. And that our faith is there. And we've picked up that theme when we saw Paul 
when, what he was being accused of in the, book, in the end of Acts, and that he was thumping that same drum. The second lesson we learned from the genealogies is this, that Christmas is connected to the covenants that God made with Israel. It is connected to those covenants. So we see these titles for Jesus in verse 1 that you just saw there. I love that. Jesus, the Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Three titles there for Jesus in the first verse. That, uh, the Christ, Jesus, Christ, son of David, actually four. Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Jesus. This is the everyday title for Jesus. It's the, 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 similar to the name Joshua, Yahshua, which just means Yahweh saves. So in his name, God saves. So this is the everyday, Jesus, his name means Yahweh saves. Christ. Christ is not a last name. It is a title. It is the the anointed one. The Old Testament idea of Messiah, um, the anointed one, use that anointed one. So Old Testament prophets, priests, and kings, when they were recognizing that role, were anointed with oil. At the same time, throughout the Old Testament, there was a prophecies of a coming prophet, priest, and king, of a suffering servant who was called the anointed one, or the Messiah, or what we would see that as the Christ. He is the Christ, he is the anointed one. And so Matthew declares this. Jesus is the one we've been waiting on. You've been anticipating. You've been waiting. You've had hope. And all this time, even during these silent years, and he is here. And then son of David. Son of David. This title announces and undergirds his royal lineage. That Jesus has the right credentials. He is qualified. He is the Messiah. He has the right credentials. And then the son of Abraham. God's covenant to Abraham, both in Genesis 12 and Genesis 22, that God had made this covenant with Abraham that through his offspring that the whole world would be blessed. So when Matthew declares this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, he is saying... This is the Yahweh who saves, who is the anointed one, who is from the royal lineage with the credentials, and he is fulfilling the covenant to Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. A third lesson we learn from the the genealogies is that this Christmas story is not just about the main figures. You know, in the old movie... um, credits then they do at the beginning they would often just put the key roles like maybe the producer or technicolor you know make sure they got their credit at the beginning of the movie right um uh, and then not everyone else and then it's been really since the 80s at the end of the movie we list like everybody you know if you help so-and-so get their hair done and carry their clothes around you're going to get your name in those credits right and we kind of are bored with those credits at the end of the movie and ignore them. Unless you're one of them, then you want to make sure you see your name on the credits, right? And so, but so, but but so, there's this idea of like the key figures, the key characters, and then everybody else. But what the genealogies remind us of and give us this lesson is that it's not just about main figures; that every member matters. And so, verse one introduced us to the key characters in the story. 
And of course, Jesus. But then David and Abraham. But the verses between verse 1 and verse 17 introduce us to 46 other people in these verses. And there's more than that, because I said that some of these might be exhaustive. It might be the ancestor of, so there might be a, a, a son and a, another son between there. That, but So f- at least 46 people are introduced here, and with a span over 2,000 years. And all of these people have different experiences. They have different personalities. They have different spiritual levels. Some of them are heroes, like Isaac and Ruth and David and Abraham and things like that, that we, we, as soon as we read their names, we're like, oh, I remember that story, and I really like that one, right? Um, and then there's others that are kind of shady characters, and you're like, Tamar, I don't remember her being a good girl. Is that, what was she in there, right? Um, um, or, you know, or uh, Rachab or whatever. And then there's some just ordinary people, you know, Esram, Aram, Achim, Salmon, you know, you're kind of like, you know, all right, there's some ordinary Joes in there. Um, hadn't really heard of them before. And then there's some evil ones, you know, like um, Manasseh and Abiah. And you're like, okay, I remember those, those kings were really bad guys, right? How, how come they're here? And so we see all these. And so you might be tempted to kind of think, you know, there's like a dignitary party list. And then you see somebody else's name on there. And you might say, well, they're not supposed to be there. And there's kind of that heart that comes, which is the theme of this series and I'm wanting to do these four weeks is well they're not supposed to be there like what wh- why why are they there and that's really what this Christmas story and these genealogies teach us it's not just about these main figures that God uses the whole and there's a lesson there of in the body of Christ that God uses all of us that we are all parts of this body and all contribute and participate in it in lots of different ways some are more seen than others. Some are some some, some of the, the the work that's done is 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 but uh, is is not on the platform. Um, but it is all crucial and extremely important. And then um, Matthew gives the summary there in verse seventeen that all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations. And from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation of Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Now, he's trying to fit this to be memorable and maybe a way for children to memorize this and, and to, for some literary quality here. But, um, but what he's doing is, is giving us some benchmarks there. Um, if you ever have the opportunity to um, visit the land of the Bible and go to Bethlehem, um, there is a, the Church of the Nativity, and I got to go there in the late 90s, and I uh, would love to go back. Um, so if anyone's got a hanker and, and, you know, extra cash to spend, I'll go with you. Um, and anyway, um, so, and, but the Church of Nativity was built um, in, somewhere in the 300s by Constantine um, for Helen, his um, mother, I believe, uh, Hellenization, that type of thing, uh, and it was it was it was what was historically or traditionally or thought, and, and, they, and Christians have a tendency to you know if they think something's remarkable, they box it around and make a shrine thing out of it, and we don't know, but you know it was there, someone's guess is as good as anybody's, and so um, that 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 was the birthplace of Jesus, and um, 
And on the spot where they believe was the birthplace of Jesus, they put a star. And of course, there's a lot of weird religious stuff around it now in, in, in the church there. But, they, but the star has 14 points to the star. And the reason for that is because of this verse. So you can Google that this afternoon. The star in the church of the nativity. And it was that church that uh, a fellow in the late 1800s visited and penned the words while there, after visiting there, a little town of Bethlehem. Um, and so anyway, so you can Google that and look up, maybe you look it up right now, uh, that 14-point star uh, in the church of nativity, uh, signifying this, the 14 generations um, to the captivity, after the captivity to Christ. Um, and what this shows us, I think there's some lessons here for us in this, and we look at all these characters in um, the, this genealogy here in Matthew, is that God is not limited to human failures. That there are some people that made a royal mess of it that God still used. And I'm sure there are some people in there that, even though they might have been evil or ordinary, they still thought that maybe they failed God. You know, if you're the descendant of David and you don't really do much with your life and you, what you think of and you have some kids and you don't really serve God and there's probably some guilt in some of those. Man, I just ruined my family. You know, I, I, I let it all go down and the, 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 the next link is not really good and here I had this great heritage and I let it go. This is a reminder that God's not limited to our failures. It doesn't mean we ought to fail on purpose, but it means that God doesn't need you and doesn't need me, and he uses us in spite of ourselves. And that's an awesome, awesome lesson for us to grasp. It's also a reminder that God uses all kinds of people. I mean, he uses, um, you know, every personality type and every temperament and every um, skill set. And he can use you, that God can use you. Um, he can use me um, in ways we don't even understand if we're willing to be used. And, um, and sometimes God uses people in ways they weren't originally intended to. You know, I mean, some of these people that were not born into Israeli blood that were sojourners or an outside of, you know, you think of like Ruth or some of those in here. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, maybe you've been, um, wow, it's Christmas. Maybe you're putting up some Christmas decorations and you need a hammer. And you know you could go downstairs two flights and get to your toolbox and get your hammer. But it's just a tack for the wall. And you know the heel of your shoe would work just fine. The heel of your shoe was not intended to work as a hammer. Or maybe the back of a screwdriver. Anyone ever use the back of a screwdriver to hammer something in? Come on. Or, or a wrench? Okay, all right. Got some nods. Everybody else is like, no, I only use wrenches for wrenching. You know? No, it, it, it can be adaptable. God uses sometimes, hey, this is, you, you came here to do this, you ended up doing this. You know, you might be someone, I thought I was gifted in this area, and I was serving, and then this opened up, and it's not really my thing, but God put me in it, and, you know, here we are. A heel hammering a nail, you know? And... Um, God can use us, but it also teaches us this, that, that, that our, God's plans are often bigger than our lifespans, that each of these folks knew this promise, this prophecy, 
But there was something that was going to happen, and it didn't happen, and they went, and as we see, and uh, we're reminded of this in, the, uh, in Hebrews, in the, the hall of faith, that some of them went to their graves with this hope, not seeing it. Um, that there are things that God's doing in the earth that I might not see done in my lifetime. You may not see done in your lifetime, but there's still this hope that God's working. So that's a wonderful, a good lesson we can learn from these genealogies, observing there. Um, the final one that I want to point out our time this morning is this, that God accepts sinful, the sinful and the marginalized. In this genealogy, the one in Matthew, which is on the David side of things and Joseph. Now, did you notice there that when it got to Joseph, it didn't say Joseph, the father of um, Jacob, the father of Joseph, not the father of Jesus, but the husband of Mary. It's kind of an indirect virgin birth there um, of whom Jesus was born. It's called the Christ. Um, but it's giving this, but in this it lists all these men, but there are five women mentioned in this genealogy, which is very unusual. And obviously on purpose. See, Christianity... New Testament Christianity from its beginning has been countercultural. And so don't let anyone ever tell you that, that, that biblical re- religion oppresses women or, is, or marginalizes people. No, 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 quite the contrary. So there are five women mentioned here in this, which is unusual, but that's how God works. And so you might be thinking, well, why are they there? Well, they shouldn't be there. And... Um, and when you see them, there's, uh, of these ladies, um, all of them are accused of something related to sexual behavior. Some rightly so, and some not so, like Mary, like Ruth, um, that, that opened up for some opinion and uh, reputation things, and the others not. And, but, 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 but God includes them here. Have you ever felt like you were rejected or out of place? You know, like there's this invitation list and for a religious meeting and your name's on it, you know, and you're like, whoa, they're not supposed to be there. But that's how God works, that God gives these women, some of which have very bad backgrounds, um, positions in his genealogies and highlights them that it's, it's really just listing the dads. But this by Tamar, by the wife of Uriah, by Ruth. Uh, making sure that they're mentioned there. So why are they there? And what does that teach us about God and how he offers forgiveness and grace? And what does that teach us about the gospel? And that's where we're going to pick up next week. And we want to look at some of these folks and see and not miss out on the inclusion of the gospel. And Lord willing, that will... Um, make us more evangelistic and hopeful and welcoming. So as we would want to prepare him room in our own hearts and make him the primary focus of our Christmas time celebrations, that we would also want to make room in our family uh, as a church family for those like Rahab and Tamar and Bathsheba and Mary, 
and Ruth's. And so we'll pick up there next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this incredible lesson for us of the gospel and display for us of the gospel in these genealogies. And Lord, I pray that we would really not have a skip over mentality of the genealogies, but a time that we would really see you working through them, that you're rooting the gospel in the old covenants and and, and displaying for us um, your acceptance and work and uh, inclusion of those outside of um, David's line, those outside of, of, of more morality, outside of society's welcoming, but you welcome them into your family. And Lord, help us to respond with that same heart for inclusion and welcome. And we'd be a welcoming church and that we would see those that are far from you come to know you and become part of our family tree as well. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.